Morning church family. I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Is the mic clear? Okay. Um, let me take this time to welcome our visitors. Um, uh, for those who have um, are here for the first time, welcome. Um, get to, to know them after, after church. We are preaching through the gospel according to, to Mark. And we've been doing this, I think, since last year. Was it since last year? Um, well, for a couple of months. Let's say for a couple of months. I, I'm, I'm forgetting now how many sermons we've preached already in the gospel according to Mark. We are in chapter 11, uh, 11 uh, verse 15 to verse 19 this morning. And the title of the sermon is in the form of a question that I would like us to think deeply about. And not only to think deeply about looking at it from afar, but looking at ourselves as well. The title of the sermon this morning is What Has Happened to God's House? What Has Happened to God's House? It's a question that must lead us to weep at the state of the church today as we see it. Mark chapter 11, I read from the ESV, follow me as I read from verse 15 to verse 19. And they, uh, talking about Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out all those who sold and all those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes had it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is God's word. Let us pray. Oh Lord, as we draw near to you um, to hear your word, our hearts desire that we will be led by you. You will speak to our hearts and we will hear you truly and repent where we need to repent. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. What has happened to God's house? The question is important because of the state of things when you observe the church today. We see, uh, as you listen to the radio, as you watch television, the the commercialization of the faith where godliness has become a means of gain. The, the, the gospel has been adulterated by men and women with corrupt hearts who preach 
that God's will for his people in this world is that they should be wealthy, they should be healthy and prosperous. You find this a lot, especially, it's, it's, it's amazing how even uh, uh, people, uh, uh, social media influencers have also become prosperity uh, gospel preachers of some sort. They are not even saved, but you hear them say, uh, uh, before the end of the week, you will receive money in your bank account. They have taken this message from the prosperity gospel people. You hear it in our speech, in our uh, uh, the way we understand God's word. You hear people. Um, saying uh, things like they can speak things into existence it is because of the corruption that has entered the church many people call Jesus Lord but his lordship is not honored other things come before him in their lives sports events are prioritized as more important than ordering the lost day some intentionally take over time to work on Sundays without any feeling of guilt. Some call Jesus Lord, but live in intentional sin. What has happened to the house of God? This is essentially Jesus' question and bewilderment as he enters the temple in Jerusalem what has happened to God's house when Jesus arrived in town we remember last week that the event takes place on a Sunday and um, as he enters um, Jerusalem he goes first to the temple. Remember, he goes to the temple in verse 11 um, of chapter 11. And he looks around and he goes. And we now find the story of him cursing the fig tree. And then all of a sudden, the story gets back to him going back to the temple. Apparently, when Jesus visited the temple on Sunday, he saw some things that he did not like. During this visit, now it's a Monday, um, he will address some of those issues. He comes and addresses some of these issues. The, the events occurring during our Lord's visit to the temple on that Monday morning are what I want us to look at today. Our prayer when we pray for CBC, and I do hope that you are committed to praying um, together as for the church and for yourself, for each other. Our prayer for CBC has always been that the Lord would show up in a great way. And we have many testimonies of how the Lord has showed up for us. Now, that is a good thing to pray for. Because if the Lord doesn't show up, then everything else is in vain, isn't it? As we move through this account, you will notice that when Jesus showed up, at the father's house on this Monday morning, it was not a good thing at all. In fact, Jesus came that Monday not to bless, but to pass divine judgment on the temple and the, praxis, and the practices that were taking place there. As we move through these verses today, I want you to know that Jesus does show up every, at every service. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, Jesus is pictured as walking 
among the candlesticks. The, the candlesticks in, in, in that uh, context represent his churches. Then in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5, uh, he promised us that he would never leave or forsake us. In other words, Jesus is always here when we come together. His presence is not in doubt. We do, however, with that in mind, in light of that, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. What does Jesus see when he comes to central? And I don't mean the building. I don't mean the property that he has graciously given us. I don't mean that. What does he see when he comes in our midst? Does he like what he sees here? Or does he want some things to change? Let's join Jesus as he goes to the temple on a Monday morning. I want to share a few thoughts that we cannot afford to miss here. I want to point out three things. First of all, a description of the temple, a dispute at the temple, and a decision at the temple. As these events unfold, I challenge you to look at your own life. I don't want this to be a sermon for your neighbor. I don't want this to be a sermon for someone who did not come to church today. I want this to be a sermon that challenges you personally. The, the Lord has a message for every person in this room if we will receive it. He has a message for each and every one of us. And let me put this as a disclaimer. That if you feel like the sermon is talking about you, it is talking about you. If you feel like it was prepared for you in mind, with you in mind, it was prepared for you in mind. Because God wants to speak to you. First of all, a description of the temple. We are told that Jesus found people selling and buying goods in the temple. He, he found others exchanging currency. And still others were walking through the temple grounds on their way to other parts of the city. I want to take a few minutes to talk about what was happening in the house of God. First, I want you to notice with me and it might help us to have a better understanding of how the temple and its grounds were arranged. The, the temple complex sat on top of Mount Zion. Right? It, it covered an area of about uh, 35 acres, and I think that is about uh, 1.5 million, uh, what do you call, uh, is it square meters, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken. You can correct me after church. The, the outer walls of the temple grounds were between uh, 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 304 to 309 meters in length. When, when a person entered the temple grounds, they came first to what we call the, courts, the court of the Gentiles. 
Uh, this area was open to all people who wanted to worship God, who, who had a desire to worship God, and they came. It was open for both Jews and Gentiles alike, and they were allowed to enter this area to pray and meditate. Remember in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14, with the tax collector and the Pharisee praying at the, together. The Pharisee praying about how he is so much better. There's nothing to change. There's nothing he's challenged about. And then, and, and uh, he's unlike this text collector. The text collector beats his chest and says, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Had you moved further away from the courts, the court of the Gentiles into the temple grounds, you would have seen a low wall. Beyond this wall was the court of women. On this wall were signs that warned Gentiles to stay out of this court. Only Jewish men and women could enter here. Beyond that court was what we call the court of the Israelites. Jewish women could enter this court only if they were bringing a sacrifice to give to the priests. Jewish men were allowed to enter at any time. Beyond that, was what we call the court of priests. This was where the priests worked and ministered. Beyond the court of priests was the temple itself. Now what we know, the holy place and the holy of holies. All the events that are taking place that we are talking about today took place in the court of the Gentiles. Remember that the population, as we noted, we noted uh, previously, the population of Jerusalem was usually about 80,000 people. During this time of the year, at Passover, the population swelled to over 2 million. And we'll not, we will see even this uh, uh, a few months later in Acts chapter 2, right? Acts chapter 2 in, 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 in um, what, what do you call the day of Pentecost, when they come to to Jerusalem, it, it, it was exactly that event when uh, a people from all over come, and 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 all of a sudden, it was two million people in Jerusalem. These people came to Jerusalem from all over the world. They came to the temple, and they came there to worship God. In those days, part of the of Jewish worship involved the sacrifice of animals. These animals had to meet certain standards before they could be used for sacrifice. They, they had to be approved by the priest. The priest had an SAB uh, stamp that he would stamp the animal and say, it is ready. Apparently, the, the, the high priest, Caiaphas, uh, allowed vendors to sell uh, 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 approved Right? He, 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 he allowed them to sell approved clean animals in the outer court of the temple grounds. Uh, because there were animals being sold in the temple, the, the pilgrims who came to town would not have to bring their own animals. Nor would they have a chance that they, uh, nor could they take a chance that the animals they brought would be judged unclean by the priest. And it was convenient, wasn't it? If you're traveling from far, it is better for you not to take an animal and struggle with it as you travel. It is better to take money. Mark mentioned again that uh, there were those who sold 
doves. Doves were the sacrifice of the poor. Uh, those who could not afford sheep, goats or bulls could offer these inexpensive birds. Uh, as we see in Leviticus chapter 5 and chapter 14. Doves were what Mary, and we see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was poor as well. She brought a dove as her sacrifice in Luke chapter 2 verse 24. Other items used in, in temple worship were also sold here. Items like wine, oil, flour and salt that had been pronounced clean were also sold in the temple. It was very convenient that the money changes also provided a valuable service to temple worshippers. Now let me explain this. Every Jewish male was required to pay, to pay one half shekel uh, ransom at each census of Israel. When the Jews returned from captivity under Nehemiah, the fee became yearly and was fixed at one time, uh, at one third of a shekel. A shekel was about 14 grams of silver. So the yearly, the, 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 the yearly tax was about 9,000 in today's money. The text was also called the shekel of the sanctuary. This uh, text had to be paid in Jewish money. Other currencies were not accepted. The money changes seemed necessary because the pilgrims from around the world will be in possession of various currencies that would not be accepted in the temple. It was very convenient. Verse 16 talks about those who were carrying vessels through the temple. In other words... Um, uh, for for those of us who are from Soshanguva, I know it's just me. Now, double up. They were they were passing through. There was a they were, they used a passage, right? Uh, a made up passage. The temple courtyard provided a quick path between the eastern part of the city of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. Many people were on business in the city would take the shortcut through the court of the Gentiles. It was very convenient for them. To most people, the things that were taking place at the temple were necessary and they were fine. They certainly were convenient. Most people had no problem at all with the system and the way things worked. However, we are about to see that Jesus had a real problem with what was going on in the temple. I think it was necessary to explain all of that in order to understand the reaction of Jesus as he enters the temple. Secondly, the second point that we need to see, we need to see a dispute at the temple. A dispute at the temple. Jesus came to the temple that Monday morning knowing exactly what he would find. He had been there the day before and had seen what was happening. He comes back this morning to do something about the situation. Yesterday he was just taking data, collecting data. The next day he's about to act. When Jesus came to church that day, he did not come in as a meek and lowly Nazarene, but he came as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The, the, the Lord came to his own house and found it in total disarray. He took all the necessary steps to set, to set things right. He, let's look at what Jesus did. When he came to the temple, the, the, the language of the text suggests violence here. The, 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 the word that we see there in verse, uh, um, verse, verse 15, 
is that he cast out, he overthrew, and would not allow. In verse 16, Jesus took control of the situation, dealt with those violating the sanctity of his house. The, 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 the phrase drive out means to force out with violence. It, 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 the, the word again, overturned, when he overturned the tables, it means to turn over. Have you seen a full table turned over? It's a violent act, right? So Jesus entered the temple and began to turn over tables, drive people away and refuse to allow people to pass through the temple. Try to imagine the scene, if you will. People and animals are running around trying to get away from Jesus. Money is flying in the air. It's like a movie. The Lord is, the, the, the Lord is ordering people around and is trying to get rid of the offenders. This isn't, isn't the first time Jesus had done this at the temple. The, the first time, the, 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 previous, it was the, the previous Passover, remember in John chapter 2 verse 19, it seems, however, that his efforts to reform the temple had not lasted. The same things are still happening. And Jesus once again comes to the Father's house and seeks to restore it to a place of worship, holiness, and spirituality. As we looked at what they were doing in the temple a few minutes ago, it doesn't really seem all that bad, does it? After all, the sellers and the money changers are providing what might be called a necessary service for the worshippers. What could be so wrong here that would drive Jesus to such drastic and violent actions? It was very convenient after all. Well, I think the answer lies in what Jesus says in verse 17. In that verse, Jesus quotes uh, two Old Testament passages. First, he quotes Isaiah 56 verse 7, which says in part, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Then Jesus quotes Jeremiah 7 verse 11, which says, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. I want us to take those declarations and see what they have to teach us about the Lord's anger here. First of all, he says, my house. He calls it my house. The first problem has to do with the very function of the temple itself. The house of God was not designed to be a place of commerce. But it was a place devoted to the worship of the almighty God. When the first temple was built, the glory of God filled it. Remember in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, when the temple was built, the glory of the Lord came into the temple, resided in the temple. God promised his people that he would meet with them in the temple. He promised to hear the prayers that were prayed in that place. It was to be his house where he alone was to be worshipped. The temple had ceased to be about the Lord. It had become a house that was man-centered and not God-centered. The temple was no longer God's house. It had become a house devoted to the needs of men. This angered Jesus. It was no longer about Jesus and, and God being the center of attraction. It was about men. It was about people. It was man-centered. 
Everything was men-centered. So he calls it my house to remind them. Again, he says, shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The temple was designed as a house of prayer. The needy could approach God in that place. The true believer, whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, could come to the temple and pray to the Lord. And God promised to hear those prayers, didn't he? If my people who are called by my name would pray. Isn't that what God says? That he would hear them. He would answer them. Now the only place a Gentile could approach God had become the marketplace. Imagine the noise that must have filled the courts of the Gentiles with all those animals. The sellers yelling at the buyers and the buyers haggling at the, with, with the sellers. There is no way a person could pray here or, or much less meditate on the things of God. The Jews had effectively closed the doors of the temple to the Gentiles and this angered Jesus. Jesus says it shall be called the house of prayer. And then again, he says, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Now the phrase den of robbers can be interpreted two ways. Both meanings are in view here. First, a den of robbers could refer to a cave where robbers hid themselves away from those who were searching for them. Second, a den of robbers could refer to a place where robbers hid, waiting for the unsuspecting victims to, to pass by. Like robbers, the high priest and his followers had hidden themselves away in the temple, seeking to hide their wickedness under a cloak of holiness. Like thieves, these men were waiting for the foolish to enter the temple so they could take their money. You see, while the sale of the animals and other uh, uh, items used for worship seems harmless and even helpful, we need to understand that it was anything but innocent. A dove cost um, about 14 rent on the street, which cost about 14 rent on the street, might cost 420 rent inside the temple. The people who came to worship were being charged grossly inflated prices. The money changers were just as guilty. They changed, they charged about 10 to 12 percent exchange rate. They were so guilty, they were also guilty here of extortion. On top of this, the high priest and his family were paid a percentage of the profits. On top of the fee the sellers had to pay to gain permission to sell in the temple, they were getting something. It was a big money racket that preyed on the poor. The temple was nothing but a den of robbers. I remember when we were doing New Testament in, 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 in seminary, we were looking at this passage and my professor said, one of the things that was happening is that the the the... the the sellers of the animals um, because some worshippers would actually come with an animal and the animal would actually be clean but the high priest would exchange the animal for an unclean animal and so it left the worshipper with uh, no choice but to buy a new animal that is clean so there was a lot of thievery 
they were, they were, it was really a den of robbers. They had turned the house of God into a house of commerce. They were robbing people in broad daylight. We also told that Jesus would not allow people to use the temple grounds as a shortcut. The Jewish oral law or, or the Mishnah actually for, 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 forbid the Jews from using the temple in this way. The Mishnah says, a man may not enter the temple mount with his staff or his sandal on his wallet or, or his wallet or his dust upon his feet, nor may he make it a short path. It seems that the Jews had lost all respect for the holiness and sanctity of the temple and treated its ground like it was any other place. The house of God was looked upon as a convenience uh, to be used as a person saw fit. When Jesus saw the Father's house being treated this way, he took measures to make it right. Now, having explained that, you might think, oh man, a lot of history. What are we... What are we to take away from this? What are we to take away from from this? For years, preachers have used the 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 passage to preach against buying and selling on 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 church grounds. While I do not believe the church should make its money from bake sales and yard sales and car washes. That is not what the passage is talking about here. However, the temple, the, the, the church building, is not their temple. We, we, we need to be careful here. The church building, this church building is not the temple. The church building is the place where the temples meet. Does that make sense? <laughs> we are the temple, aren't we? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. The church building is the place where temples meet. This passage is talking about the condition of the heart that even allows things like this to take place. That the reason the Jews were defiling their temple was due to the fact that they had ceased to fear God. They stopped fearing God. In their hearts, they simply did not love him anymore. They did not adore him. They did not respect him. Nor did they carry his word in their hearts. And as a result, they traveled down a path that led them away from God and into self-indulgence. We are seeing the same things all around us today. I want to take a moment to consider a few questions that come to my mind as I prepared this message. I want to ask these questions and I want you to answer honestly in your heart. I want you to think about these questions. I want you, as these questions address you, to think about your heart. Why are churches looking for new forms of worship? Why are churches embracing new fleshly styles of music? By the way, I'm not saying all music is bad, all new music is bad. That there was a day when Amazing Grace was new, wasn't it? The standard is not age of music. I don't want us to sing music because it's old. I want us to sing music because it's biblical. It's accurate to the Bible. It is not about your feelings, how you feel about it. Away with your feelings. Your feelings don't matter if you are singing something that is not biblical. 
why are churches abandoning biblical preaching to have a discussion on pulpits? Abandoning biblical preaching to preach about wealth, to preach about health. Why are churches abandoning doctrine in favor of self-help, therapeutic talks? Trust yourself. You can do it. There's so much in you that you can that that, that can work out for you. Don't worry. Think uh, 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 positively. If you think it will come true, that is nonsense. Why are so-called Christians allowing false prophets like Joel Austin, yes I'm mentioning them by name, uh, banning him? Why are we allowing these people to rob us blind by selling us worthless drivel disguised as religious help? Why do prophets and Christians refuse to pray and read their Bibles? Why do some people who claim to be saved seem to have such a hard time living for the Lord? Why do people have the mindset that the church exists simply for their convenience? Why do church members feel they can treat the church like they do? They tithe when they can afford it. They come when they feel like it. They refuse to participate in the outreach ministries. If we, we say, if, if we say, uh, 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 evangelize, none, none of that happens. They sit back and let others do all the work. Why? Why? Why is Thursday Bible study not treated as important as Sunday morning? Why? Why? Is the ladies meeting attended only by a few ladies while we have more ladies at church why are men's meeting not attended by men why do church members believe they can come into services whenever they please services start at 9.30 don't they and 6.30 on Thursday when the service starts you should be in your seat ready to worship But why do we come 40 minutes later, 30 minutes later? Why is it easier to sacrifice Sunday worship for sports events for your children? I cannot answer for you, but I'm asking you. There are many more questions that could be asked here. The reason we do things the way we do is the same reason the Jews did the things they did. Here's the real issue. The things we do are not the problem. They are merely symptoms of the problem. We do the things we do in our day for the same reasons Jews did them in Christ's day. They treated the things of God like like they did because they held a small view of God. They have a small view of God. Is that your view of God? You have a smaller view of God. That Sunday morning is, that, does not matter for you. you. Whether you come or you don't come, any excuse is an excuse. You can't wait to have an excuse. First day, Bible study, any excuse is an excuse. Is your God so small? Is your God so small that he doesn't mind? 
Or is God really, really not your God? What has happened to the house of God, brothers and sisters? What has happened to the house of God? We do the things we do, not because of excuses. You can give a book list of excuses, but it is because your God is so small that it doesn't mind you sleeping one more hour because today you are more tired so you can't come to church. He doesn't mind you saying, you know what, I want to buy something month end so I'm going to uh, take over time on these Sundays even if I don't have to, but I'm going to. Your God doesn't mind. He is fine. You, you, you are one of those people who say, my God understands. Let me tell you, your God who understands when you compromise his things is not the God of the Bible. It's a God of your own making. He's not the God of the Bible. Our God is not a small God. I'm afraid that many people in our day also have a small view of God. That is why he comes in second. He comes third, fourth, and sometimes he doesn't even come at all. That is not the way things should work, brothers and sisters. God demands first place in our lives. Nothing in your life or mind should come before the Lord and His work. We should treat Him, His business, His word, His worship, His house, like they are the most important possessions we have because they are. Everything we do and are are should be determined by what brings God the glory. That is why we are here and nothing less will satisfy him. When God is first in your life, it will show. It will show. When God is first in your life, it will show. You don't need to tell us. It will show. And when he isn't, it will also show. You don't need to tell us. It will show. If you see a tree by its fruit, right? What does your life show about the place God holds in your heart? Now lastly, I want us to look at, um, we saw we saw first a description of the temple, a dispute at the temple. And lastly, I want us to look at a decision at the temple. When the Jewish leaders heard about what Jesus did, they are resolved to put him to death. But they would succeed this week. Before the sun set that Friday, Jesus would be dead and buried in a borrowed tomb. It is interesting to note that the people were amazed by what Jesus saw and what Jesus did and what they heard him say. And no doubt, many of the people there that day were sincerely trying to worship God and they were being fleeced by the very people who should have been there to lead them to the Lord. 
They were interested in the reforms Jesus was trying to make in the temple because they were tired of being taken advantage of by the high priest and his followers. In the end, it didn't matter. The temple had been defiled. God was offended and judgment was coming. The fig tree that Jesus uh, uh, judged was a living illustration of what would happen to the temple. Because they promised life, but they delivered only death, they were destined for judgment. Because they were all leaf and no fruit, they were destined for judgment. In no less than 40 years, judgment did come. The temple was destroyed. It came in the form of a Roman general named Titus and his Roman legions. Judgment came to the temple and those who perverted the things of God. Judgment came and it could not be stopped. The lesson for us is very clear. We can be a people God will bless or we can be a people God will judge. You cannot choose the third option. There's no third option. There's no middle ground here. It's either you are with the people God will bless because of your faith in Jesus Christ, or you will be one of the people that God will judge because of your rejection of God. What we are will be determined on how we love Him. Because of how much we love Him will dictate how faithfully, how fully, and how fruitfully we will serve Him. God can either use us and this church for his glory. Sometimes I think we take things for granted. We take the fact that um, we, we, we gather Sundays. We have activities. We have uh, um, Sunday. We have now youth. We have Sunday school and so on. And it seems that things are moving. Things are going. We, have, uh, we now have a property and so on and so forth. It seems like we're going in the, in the right direction. God can bless us. With a building. And when we turn away from him, he can still judge us and leave us in that building while his glory has left. He can either use us in this church for his glory or he can write Ichabod over the door and find him a people who do love him. Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has left the temple. I say we search our hearts. And if there's a problem, we need to do what Jesus told the Ephesians to do. Return to your first love. Do you remember? Do you remember the time when you were in love with him? Uh, do you remember? I'm not, I'm not talking about the fact that you sang songs or you prayed loud. Or, I'm talking about the fact that you knew and were convinced of your relationship with Him and it totally changed and transformed your life. Transformed how you saw life, how you saw marriage, how you saw, uh, uh, you know, work. How you saw your relationship with God. How you saw your future. How you saw possessions. Do you remember? Do you remember how when that was burning in your heart, how you wanted everyone to know Him? 
Is that still the case? Or have you cooled down like tea that has been forgotten on the table? No longer hot for the Lord. You cannot drink that tea, can you? Jesus calls us to repent. It seems to me that the Lord wants us to know that he is not playing games. His business is serious business. It is high time his people treated it that way. The only issue in the temple was a problem of the heart. The Jews had abandoned authentic worship. The problem in the modern church is exactly the same. Most people have abandoned authentic spiritual worship for something more convenient, something of their own making. All the while, authentic worship is exactly what we need to strive for in the church. When the word of God is read, we should hang on every word, seeking to absorb it all. When we sing, we should open our mouths and sing. When we listen to singing, we should seek to find God in the words. When we hear preaching, we should seek to, to hear God's message for our life. When we pray, it should become a corporate event as we attach our amen to the words of the prayer being prayed. William Temple defined worship this way. He says, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feel the, tr- the mind with the truth of God, to purge or wash the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. Empty worship was a trouble at the temple the day Jesus visited. Empty worship brought divine judgment to the temple. What does he see when he looks into the temple of your heart? What does he see? Where does this message find you this morning? Are you saved? Are you really, really saved? If not, come to Jesus, he will save you. If you are, the Lord has spoken to you about your commitment to him. If he has, come to him today. He loves you and he wants you and he wants to use you in a special way. He will if you yield to him. My desire... For CBC. However long God is going to keep us. Is that we will be a church. That seeks to honor him truly. We will not seek to. Emulate the world. Just to get the numbers in. Try to be entertaining. Try to scream here and there. But we will seek to be faithful to God's word. My desire for you as a member of CBC is that you will be marked by a desire to be used by God for the furtherance of the gospel. 
my desire for you is that you will connect to the local church to the community let's pray Lord we what has happened to your church what has happened to your house We often do things that dishonor you and disregard your name. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.